Hello and welcome to Scout in the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vincent? Hey, JJ. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Excited for this week's episode. As a note to the listeners, please stick around at the end of the episode for an interview with Colin Granson of SMU. Should be exciting. And this week is exciting. This week is the first week of the league year. I think today starts the tapering season where teams can talk to free agents. And we'll start getting some clues about what teams are interested in what players. Mm -hmm. Um, So very exciting times for the Panthers. I looked yesterday and we ranked number 11 in terms of having available cap space. So we should have a little room to play. Yeah. Um, we have franchised Taylor Moten. So we have a right tackle this year. That's some, somewhat exciting news. So that's one piece of the puzzle. See if we can work out a long-term deal with him and potentially save cap space down the road. But officially, we sit with $29 million in cap space. Yeah. I think we could gain a, a million or two additional dollars. We learned this week that we had two key players restructured their deals and Shaq Thompson and and Christian McCaffrey. So thanks to them for opening up more room for cap space. I think their savings pretty much paid for the franchise tag for Taylor Moten. I think it's around 13 and a half million dollars or something. Yeah, it's it's about about that, yeah. And there were hints that Matt Paradis also restructured his deal, but I didn't get the details on, you know, what the workings of that deal was. And so we'll find out more about that later. So um, that said, exciting times. Opportunity is there. Looking forward to see who the number one target is for the Panthers. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Vincent? You know, what are you thinking we should go out and get first if you had to choose as a GM? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth noting, I think this is something that Matt Rule kind of made quite clear in his press conference is that um, Taylor Moten was probably the, the big free agent move for the Panthers. Like like franchise hacking him, it, particularly in this market where where not many teams have much cap space, spending nearly fourteen million dollars on on a right tackle is a uh, is, is a really big move. Like that's a that's a serious commitment. Um, I think although we've got close to thirty million in cap space, it is worth noting that when you sort of take into account that they're going to have to re-sign, yeah, well not re-sign, but sign all their draft picks, and also you probably need, you know, I think they generally tend to want to keep sort of something like five or seven million dollars free for the season to be able to allow them to make some moves in season yeah. it, the amount the Panthers are actually probably going to spend is probably closer to about 15 million yes. um, what that then means is a couple of things it means that you probably aren't going to see the Panthers be super active early in free agency unless you think unless they get just get a deal done really easily um, with somebody because you know generally the players who sign early are the big contracts yeah, they, they might go out and resign FA Abada or they, they might try and bring back a Chris Manhurts or, or or bring back some players. But in terms of going out and making signings of, of new players, it's it's going to be hard for them to sort of single in on one or two players and be really aggressive about it just, just because they don't have the cap space to get into a bit new. They can't really outbid anybody. They, they, can, right. they, can, they can offer contracts at value, but they can't really get into... They don't have the cap space to get into a bidding war over any particular prospect. So I think when we talk about... So that's a bit later, obviously, but but when the Panthers sort of 
where the Panthers probably probably have the best chance in free agency is more after that first day or so where things start to settle down and it's more finding the players, you know, you, you start with a list of the players you think would improve your team, you see which ones get signed, and then you sort of then try working out what the deals are going to look like for the other guys. And it'll be who's available after the first day or so of free agency and what kind of money you can get them for. So I think the primary targets, I think they they really, really want a new starting cornerback. I think everything you kind of, you the feeling you get coming out of, of what's been said in Carolina is, is that, that they're, you know, they weren't super happy with the play of um, Razzle Douglas last year, which is kind of, you know, understandable. Um, I think they want a, 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 a more, an improvement opposite Dante Jackson. And I, it doesn't sound like they're super convinced by Troy Pride or Stan Thomas Oliver yet. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be on the 53 or that they're terrible, but right. I don't, I, I don't get the feeling that they're ready to hand the starting roll over to either of them yet. Um, yeah. So while it's going to be hard for them to go out and, and sort of, chase cornerbacks in free agency i think that's somewhere where they're they're really going to look to try and find a guy if they can um and 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 the other major one is going to be the offensive line um they they don't have any guards basically they you know i i think that dennis daly can probably start at one guard spot um and i think they they what they don't want to do is crowd out the opportunities for to bring in rookies to start but you don't want to go out and sign three offensive linesmen because then you basically you it makes it very hard then to draft in what is quite a good offensive line class um, so I'd imagine they go and maybe sign one mid-tier offensive linesman. That could, depending on what John Miller's um, value is, that could be bringing John Miller back. Um, we'll talk about some other names later, but I think the offensive line and cornerback are the two big ones. And then after that, I think probably defensive tackle, um, maybe a tight end, probably some depth at receiver. Um, I think those are going to be the kind of the, the the primary things. You know what I've been thinking about, and I may be totally wrong, um, when you mentioned defensive tackle, we talked a few weeks ago about potentially bringing back KK Short on yeah. a much cheaper deal. Yeah. Do you think that's something that they would look at or? Oh, you know, I think it's absolutely something they'll look at. It's again, it's, it's going to be one of those things where KK might just get an offer. Like, you yeah. know, he, he, I mean, technically he could be offered already now. So it seems unlikely that someone's going to offer him the moon because they would have done so already. But, right. but, you know, his market might be quite hot. Someone might offer him decent money to go and play on a contender, in which case the Panthers probably can't match that. But if right. he's still unsigned after a couple of days, then they can make him an offer and potentially bring him back. I, I, I'd say it's probably fairly 50-50 whether he comes back. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think this is, this is definitely going to be a free agency where it's very hard to pinpoint particular guys and say the Panthers should go after that guy because if any other team has the same thought, then you know there are teams, although there aren't many teams, there are enough teams that have significant cap space that, that it's going to be very hard for the Panthers to compete with them for any player. So... If the Jets want somebody and the Panthers want somebody, unless they really don't want to go to New York, they're, they're going to lose that bidding war. I agree with that. Uh, going back to, you know, to how you introduced this segment about free agency and going back to Scott Fitterer's press conference early in the week, I think he mentioned cornerback and offensive line as the two positions that the Panthers need to focus on. So I think you're right on the money you know, with, with bringing up those positions. Um, Razu Douglas, came to us last year, I think, via the waiver wire. Yeah. He had been waived by the Philadelphia Eagles. I think there was a relationship there with uh, Pat Stewart. Yeah. You know, and, and he probably was familiar with the players, so that's how he ended up on Carolina. I think he played admirably um, based on how he came in. He was here for, like, essentially three or four days, maybe got two or three practices in, and then he was the starting cornerback week one. Yeah. And, and he played fairly well considering – 
you know, no offseason with the Panthers, you know, very little familiarity with the playbook. And he started every game that he was available. And I think he was the only cornerback that we could say that about. I think he missed a game due to COVID. I don't know if he missed two. I think I know he missed one. Um, but he struggled when he came back from that game. But other than that game, I thought he was solid all year. I don't think he got an interception all year. And I was kind of expecting him to be more of a ball hawk. Um, he's not super fast, but he is long. Yeah. Um, and he has good ball skills, you know, but uh, he, I didn't like his feet, you know, in, in the zone a lot. You know, it seemed like he got turned around and couldn't really recover. I don't think he has the speed for that. With that said, I, I know in my heart, I always wanted a lockdown corner. I don't know if we'll be able to afford a true lockdown in this particular free agent. I would be, I think, unless that they unless they just throw all their money, I'm not totally sure there's a, there is a lockdown corner in this fridge class, but even if there was, yeah. that's going to cost all their cap. Like, it would be, you do that, and then you sign vet men, guys, basically. Like, they, they, they don't have that kind of money. It's going to be more, either you take a risk on somebody who's still a little bit developmental, or yeah. you find, or you go out and find someone who is fine as a stopgap. Um, let, let me ask you this question about one guy that I was thinking about as you were talking about cornerbacks. Now that we have Scott Fitterer, who comes from the Seattle organization, Shaquille Miller, and Shaquille, not Shaquille Miller, um, Shaq Griffin, Shaq Griffin, Shaquille Griffin is going to be a free agent. Is that somebody who we could get for less than like, you know, like the, the top of the, the league, you know, in terms of his uh, salary demands, you know, you think he's somebody affordable who we could potentially target or is going to want too much? Uh, again, it'll depend, but I think he's probably going to get, I think he's probably a little bit out of their price range. Again, if, if there is, the market isn't particularly hot on him and he's there a couple of days into free agency, maybe that's different. I don't think they expected to get Robbie Anderson last year, for example. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think he would be, he's probably going to be more expensive than they should be able to, they, they should not go in expecting to be able to sign him kind of thing. Like he, he will be a player who they would be fortunate if they can still afford without, you know, burning themselves at other positions. Yeah, because I, I have him, you know, at the top of my, you know, available cornerback list. You know, you have, like, the the more gaudy names like Patrick Peterson and, and Richard Sherman. Yeah, I, I think they just, just – I think the other point that's worth making – sorry, just while you mentioned those guys in terms of Panthers free agency is this team is not – like, I think Matt Romo and Scott have made it fairly clear. This team is not built to compete right now. Like, this is yeah. – this team is still a year away. I was away. so glad he said that. Yeah. I was so glad he said that. Yeah, I was as well, if I'm honest. But I think that means that signing guys who are in their early 30s, particularly at corner where players don't tend to age super well. Like, right. if the Pan the Panthers might go and sign a veteran here and there, like, you know, I'm not sure how feasible it is to think Jermaine Carter played well enough that the Panthers shouldn't be looking to supplant him. But if, like, if they're talking about moving um, Chin back to safety, then someone like KJ Wright, you know, is, is more, you know, I think he, he, because of the links to Fitterer and also he's just a really, really smart guy, good locker room guy, may, and probably isn't going to be that expensive. But that's may, maybe you could make a justification for that. But other than those kind of teacher type players, I, I don't think the Panthers should be looking to sign guys over sort of 26, 27. Like, you know, this, this is... There's no point signing guys to make yourself better in 2020. You know, it, it, it's not about being nine and seven versus seven and nine. It's about being as good as you can be in 2022. Um, and so, I mean, like, so Dan Cresso, who's uh, writes the right report, he's um, got a piece that should be coming out today, as in the day that the uh, the, the podcast comes up, 
on three guys the Panthers could target. And, and one of those is a Keller Weatherspoon, the 49ers okay. corner. And again, oh, yeah. it's that's probably more the kind of level. I, I don't think. like him, by the way. I I, I I like his I like his length, but there were times where I saw him play and he just looked like he was lost out there. And I don't I don't like that. I think he's like, definitely he's definitely a risk. Like it, yeah, it's yeah. I, I think he is I think the issue the Panthers are gonna have is that they clearly want to find a starting caliber corner. And the issue is starting caliber corners tend to either be very expensive or short-term options so like unless you are going to go for the like the you know when the patents was it you know they signed tillman to a one-year deal they signed um drayton florence to a one-year deal like guys who were just yeah. like right at the end of their careers just yeah. give us one more season which i don't I, that feels like a stopgap for the panthers unless they take that kind of approach i think you're more looking at um at taking shots at guys who are sort of 25 26 coming off the end of their rookie deals, have the talent to be bigger pieces elsewhere. Like they did with Kirk Coleman back in the day or or Ted Ginn, like those guys you can try and sort of not rebuild, but take guys who've shown flashes elsewhere, have never quite been able to make it work and put them together and 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 try and fit them into a role that you see them working at. And I think I think Weatherspoon is is definitely a risk. And I think if you went again, because of his relationship with Robert Sala, there is a chance you end up getting into that bidding war with New York, which you're yeah. going to lose. But he definitely has a lot of talent. Um, he, he does. Fit, he, he he's he a really does. good he's a really good fit for what the Panthers want to do for cornerbacks. Like you know, he yeah. is that sort of length, speed, ball skills guy. That is that is what yeah. they're looking for. Yes. Um, and he probably is going to be quite cheap. Um, don't me wrong. They should not give him lots of guaranteed money. Like like it, it, a good comparison in my mind, at least, is like Stephen Weatherly. Um, I think Stephen Weather- signing Stephen and Weatherly was worthwhile. I think they gave him too much money, but I think right. sign- take- taking a chance on those guys who've been borderline starters elsewhere and seeing if you can make them starters where you are, I think makes sense. Um, no, Weatherspoon, Weatherspoon has a lot of starting experience. You know, he had to start early in his career. And as you said, you know, height, speed, length, you know, he has all of that. He's played in a, in a zone-heavy defense. Yeah, yes, but, the, the, but the crucially, but crucially, like if you're going to compare him to Razzle Douglas, he shows an ability to play press man that Razzle Douglas just didn't. Like the, the, I think the issue you get with someone like, I think the reason why they don't want to bring Razzle Douglas back is that he can play one coverage well. Like he he can play he can play like press zone reasonably well. Yeah. But but if you put him in man coverage, he is so liable to matchups. Right. Um, and don't be wrong. If you put a killer with a spoon on Antonio Brown or like some really short, shifty corner a receiver, that's not going to end well. But you've got Dante right. Jackson for that. But what you can do is stick him in man coverage against Mike Evans, and particularly from press, he can kind of handle his own. The, yeah. the, the, he just gets when he gets when he gets lost. That to me is on deeper routes when he has to turn around and find the ball. He tends to just lose the lose the wide receiver altogether. And he's he's almost afraid to use hands. You know, like you have to use your hands. You know, you have to be really crafty about doing it. But you have to use your hands down the field when you're a cornerback. You know, you can't hold and grab and and pull back. But you know, you have to be able to use your body um, to create separation. And there's so many times, like deeper in the route, you know, where he just loses the wide receiver altogether. And then when it's time to find the wide receiver and find the ball, he's just nowhere around that. And so it was, I mean, he is decent. He is, he's fine. He can be fine. I think he has potential. 
And if the if the Panthers signed him, I would get it. I just wouldn't be excited because I would see him as just a, a project. And, and maybe in 2021, you know, not just for me, but for other folks listening too, I think we should kind of condition ourselves to looking at this as another build a year. Oh yeah. Not necessarily rebuild, but you know, another build year, but this time doing it in earnest versus last year seemed to be somewhat of a mixed message in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. I think if we look at this year as if, hey, look, you know, 2022 is a great year for the salary cap for the Panthers. Um, And this year is another foundational year. And some of the players that we may sign may not be flashy names, but they can help be a bridge to um, a, a better 2022. I think I can accept that, but I, I want the communication to be kind of clear about that. And I think Matt Rule, um, I think he introduced the season very well by saying what he said the other day and saying that we aren't just one player away no. from being good. And, and so I'm saying that to myself. So this is a note to self and I'm just saying it out loud, but you know, for the people listening, you know, it'd be good if, if we kind of adopted that attitude. And if we're surprised by what they're able to put together, then that's fine. But I don't think we should expect to win. And, you know, talking about free agency, talking about the cornerback position, you know, the, the most crucial um, position group on the team right now is the offensive line. And so it would be really good if we could, you know, get some good interior offensive linemen, you know, yeah. through free agency and the draft. I think we need to focus on, you know, what we're able to achieve there. I'm seeing hints out there that Russell Akun may not be back. And yeah, you know, I, that I, doesn't necessarily make me upset. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, again, I think it's hard. I think, again, wrong. If, if the Panthers somehow get a trade together for Deshaun Watson in the next three days before free agency, yeah. then signing Okung makes sense because then it becomes more about short term and older veterans then start to, to make more sense. But right. Russell Okung is not the answer at left tackle. One, because of his age, and two, because of his injury history. Like, he is he is not the long-term guy. So, yes. at some point, you kind of have to rip off the Band-Aid, and I think there should be a, a reasonable amount of that this year for the Panthers of just, like, accepting that you're going to take some steps back in some places. Make, you know, right. it, so the Panthers have a lot of needs. You know, you, you, they're not going to take a step forward in all of them. And I think rather than looking to make marginal gains across the board, they should rather look to properly address a handful of needs, take some chances at the others, and accept that there are going to be a few that they just can't address. And I think, personally, I think left tackle is going to be one that they have to, they, they might take a step back this year. If, mm-hmm. if only because, unless they, I mean, I don't think they have Trent Williams money. And unless no. you're going to go and chase Trent Williams, you're not going to get a left tackle in free agency unless you spend big. It's very hard to get a left tackle in the draft. If they do, it's going to probably have to be with the eighth pick. Um, yes. And realistically, I think there are probably only, in my mind, probably only two players in this draft who I would be, reasonably confident can develop into starting left tackles is that slater and who and sewell like i I think sewell i I I think slater is more pro ready with a lower ceiling i think sewell is a bit more developmental but definitely has the talent to be a left tackle whereas if you're looking at guys like uh radance or or let i mean we'll talk about this more we talk about the offensive lineman but i don't i don't think this is a draft that's like full of like pro ready left tackles it's it's full of like pro ready borderline right like right tackle type guys and and like developmental guys who are more sort of borderline guards i like it's really hard to find left tackles in the draft and 
Although I don't think a lot of Panthers fans would, would like me saying this, I think you have to roll with some combination of Greg Little and um, Trent and Scott, I think, next year. And, and you know, may, 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 maybe you get really lucky in the draft and you get a UDFA or you sign a guy in free agency who suddenly looks really, really good. But I think you you can throw a lot of assets trying to fix left tackle without making any progress. And you'd yeah. like if, if, if Greg Little is the worst offensive linesman you start next year, you've got a decent offensive line. And at least then if you address the other positions, you can then go back next year and try and get a left tackle. Whereas if you keep throwing assets at left tackle and don't have a left guard, it's going to be much harder to, to, to build the offensive line if you don't have the structure around them. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be upset in a scenario where we were to bring John Miller back to play right guard. I think he played well enough to justify giving him another short-term deal. If he's willing to accept that, uh, to come back and play right guard for us, we know that Matt yeah. Paradis would be here. We know that uh, Taylor Moulton would be at right tackle. If you have a combination of Trent Scott and Greg Little at left tackle, like we did for a lot of this season, yeah, um, you know, I would be okay with that. Um, and then maybe Dennis Daly could be your left your left guard. I mean, yeah. he was slated to be the left guard all last offseason. Yeah. And he got he got injured early, and so we never really saw that materialize. But if they thought he could be the left guard last year, the starting left guard, then why can't he be that this year? No, I, I, then, I, I, I think he 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 looked good enough to be a no. He, he looked good enough to get his chance to start last year. Like when he played, yeah. he he looked like a guy who deserves a chance to start. And I, and I think if we can just you know we have to hope for health. You know, still you know either sign or draft for interior offensive line depth, but. Dennis Daly could be your left guard. A combination of Trent Scott and Greg Little um, could be your, your left tackle. And we have, you know, maybe like I said, you know, John Miller at right guard, Paradis at center, Taylor Moulton at, at yeah, right I, tackle. I, I can go with that, you know, and we don't have to like... I think the, the, the only thing there is if you do that, you're then still very much on the makeshift side. I, I think I would... I would like them to find one new long-term starting option. Uh, whether that's with the draft, whether that's with free agency, I don't really mind. I think, oh, of course, yeah. I think course. what you don't want it to be like, well, Matt Paradis's contract's up at the end of the year, so you're going to have to replace him next season. You're, you know, he, he'll be 33. He'll be a 33. Wait, hey, check this out, though. Check this out. This may be a nugget, and maybe I'm wrong in looking at the nugget, but you know, you can look at it after the after the episode. When I saw, I think it was a uh, spot track. You know, the the, the contract website. Mm-hmm. If he restructured his contract, I don't know if they like extended him, but he looked like he had I, some I, money that was in 2022. Yeah, now. yeah, but that that could be money without him being under contract. That could be effectively like yeah. So that that's um that's basically what the the the, the Bucks have done with Drew, um, not Drew, Tom Brady, where effectively he has money in years where he's not under contract. Uh, uh, so so I saw that though. So that's something to note, you know. But I know that with his restructure now. And that they can move money into an off year, but yeah. I didn't know what that meant for him being on the team. I'd, 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 I'd have thought it would be phrased as extension rather than restructure if he had actually signed an extension. Um, yeah. yeah, and he'll be a 33 year old free agent next year. Like you're going to have to replace him at some point. Um, Taylor Moten is actually at the moment is only here for one more year, definitely. Um, right. You know, I think you need to at some point, whether it's for the draft or free agency, you have to find a starter, like a a, a starter who's going to be around beyond 2021. Well, I hope um, they can figure that out. And and maybe, honestly, you can't even know if you have a star there unless you address it in free agency to tell you the truth. 
No, of, of course, of course. But 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 bringing someone who you think can, you know, not not just like well, we're going to draft someone in the fifth round and maybe they can start. Like I think if you draft someone in the first or second round, that's that's you know, sure you can get unlucky, but but that's that investment. Um, and I hope we do. I mean, there's a lot of candidates out there, you know, interior offensive linemen that can be had in the in the in the first or second round, and yeah. particularly in the second round. I think the draft is deep. In terms of um, interior offensive line, yeah. you know, at least you know on days one and two, you know, after days one and two in any draft, you know, the the prospects get a little sketchy. But I think you know you can definitely find a guy in round two, you know, that can be an in interior. And I heard what Scott Federer said as well about the way he sees offensive linemen. And I think it's typically what everybody thinks. You know, every coach or every scout, GM or whatever, you know, if you get an interior offensive lineman, you want somebody who can play guard and center. If you get a tackle, you want a tackle that can play right and left. Um, and you know, you have guys that are definitely better at one position than than the other positions, but you want position flexibility across the offensive line. That's something that carries over from Matt Rule and what he said in the past about you know the offensive line or anybody that's on this team basically is that I think the guys that they will look at is guys who have some position flexibility across the yeah. line. Interior guys can play all three interior positions and the and the um, the outside tackles can play both tackle positions. And so um, it's going to be intriguing, man, to see, you know, how they address that. You know, obviously they can address it in the draft. That's a cheaper option um, than finding somebody who's really solid, you know, to come yeah. in and start you know, through free agency. I, I think and, they're going to they're gonna have to sign somebody in free agency at guard who yeah. can start? Maybe they won't end up. Start. Maybe they won't end up being the starter. But I think otherwise, you go into the draft where your your offensive line has to be Greg Little, Trenton Scott, um, Paradis, Dennis Daly, and um, uh, Taylor Moten. And like, it, it, if you don't sign a starter, that is what your line looks like. And that that's almost in the territory of then just having to draft somebody who can play guard. Um, and I don't think you want to be in that situation. I think there's gonna whether it's bringing John Miller back. I think again, like this is the thing. Like, you, there's a big difference between paying someone like John Miller, say like two years, fifteen million dollars, where it's like you are the starter now. If we're paying you seven and a half a year in this, you know, you're you're starting now. Whereas if you yeah. sign him on a two-year, five million dollar deal, it's you can start if you have to start, but you're going to probably have to compete with a rookie in camp, or you're going to have to compete with Dennis Daly in camp, kind of thing. I think that's much more where you're looking at it, guys who. Who, who maybe particularly guys with flexibility who can come in, they can compete to start. Um, I mean, I personally think there's a reasonable chance Chris Reed comes back, not yeah. because not because I think he he should be starting, but because he like they've had a guy in, like at least one of him and Taylor Larson, Tyler Larson, who can be that center guard hybrid because yeah. that just gives you so many options in terms of depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But I I think if it's if it's if it's a, a really makeshift line once again in 2021, that's going to be quite frustrating. Um, given how much they've talked about the offensive line, given the offensive line draft class, I think you you can't afford for it to be yet another group of people who in 2022 are all out of contract again, or half of them are out of contract, and you're then looking at another rebuild and another rebuild and another rebuild. At some point, you have to start putting some pieces there long term. Well, you know, and, and it's, it's an interesting conversation because it's a conversation that gets really heated uh, when we discuss it, you know, through tweeting or whatever. And it's which comes first, right? You know, the offensive line and infrastructure to bring in your, your franchise quarterback or do you go get your franchise quarterback and then kind of piecemeal your offensive line around that quarterback? 
And I know there's probably not a right answer to it, but it is a hot topic of debate. <laughs> and, and, you know, for me, I think you control what you can control. Yeah. And if you're sitting at number eight, so let's, you know, focus on the draft piece of it. I know this is free agency, but if you're sitting at number eight and you still don't have your franchise quarterback or your franchise left tackle, because we know we have a right tackle now, um, at least for a year. <laughs> if you don't have either guy and you're at number eight and all of the quarterbacks that you really, really wanted are gone at eight, mm-hmm. but a franchise left tackle is there, then my mindset is that you get your franchise left tackle right there. And you don't yeah. I mean, wish you know, that, that the quarterback that you feel desperate that you have to get know that you don't draft that guy and hope that he plays well when you know you can have a franchise left tackle right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I've, I've, I know Dave Gettleman hasn't had the best legacy in the NFL, but I, I think yeah. he was definitely right about the idea that you use free agency to set up the draft. You make it so that you go into the draft not having to draft any one position. You set yeah. your board and you wait how it falls and then you draft how your board falls. I think if you... If you try and be too strategic in the draft, I think you can get really badly caught out. Um, yeah. I think you 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 know you don't know who's going to unless you pick them first overall. You really don't know. Like if, you, if for the Panthers, sensibly at this point, Justin Fields could be there. He could not be there. Trey Lance could be there. He could not be there. Mac right. Jones probably will be there. Um, yes. Then you're like, okay, you're looking at the, the you know Penny Sewell probably won't be there, but could be there. Rashawn Slater probably will be there. But yeah, yes. you, 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 if you look at like let's say the ten guys who the Panthers could both feasibly want and be there, the odds are that half of them will be gone. You just don't know which half. And, Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I hate to, to cut you off, but I need to ask a question before I forget to ask. You're the GM. Yeah. It's number eight. Yeah. And Slater and Mac Jones on the board. Yeah. Who are you drafting? Probably Slater. That's I, 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 I mean, I need to watch more Mac Jones, so I can't. I, I, I haven't sort of got my final pitch from him. But from what I've seen, he's a perfectly good quarterback. I just, I mean, I mean, I agree with that. I think he's good. I, 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 I also depends. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the thing with quarterbacks is you have to interview them. That you can't draft quarterbacks off tape. Um, you, you could. There are just there are just too many questions. Um, yeah. And there are with like defensive backs, you kind of get that as well a little bit, and linebackers. But with quarterbacks, like you know, you, you it, it. We'll talk about this more when we get to the quarterbacks sort of podcast. But it's so hard separating what a guy does of his own volition and what he goes, what a guy does because he's been coached to do that. Yeah. So it's really hard to assess quarterbacks without being able to ask them those questions of why are you doing this and why are you doing that and why are you not doing this. Because sometimes it's, uh, I didn't think about it or uh, I forgot or whatever. And sometimes it's, oh, no, the coach told me if this happens, do this. Yeah. Like, you know, Kyler Murray, if we go back to him, he had a real tendency at Oklahoma of just taking off of his first couple of reads weren't there. Yeah. But but the thing is, is you don't know whether that's because he just couldn't work through his reads, which probably from what he said in the NFL wasn't the case, but rather because yeah. Oklahoma just told him, you know, sod it, you're good, enough as a, you're, you're good enough as a runner. If the first couple of reads aren't there, unless it's like third and 17, just take off. Like, just, you know. You, yeah, some quarterbacks are the third best option or the second best option on any given play if they have that type of talent. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, but the thing is, at the NFL level, that probably isn't the case. Like, you know, at right. the NFL level, it can't be read one, not there, read two, not there, right, I'm running it. At least it can't be that all the time. Um, yeah. But but that's the thing is you don't you don't, until you kind of can talk to the player and, and ask what they're seeing and why they're doing what they're doing, you don't know what is what is them doing something outside of the structure of the offense and them doing right. something because that is what the offense is telling them. That's what their coaches are telling them to do, particularly right. at quarterback. Um, so 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 it's it's really hard to make a firm decision on quarterbacks just off tape. But and we'll talk about that more in the, in the future. But I, I and, and, and it's crazy. I mean, we're going to get on from this from this area of the of the episode, but. I was thinking of Lamar Jackson when you said that, you know, to me, he's a guy that, you know, they said these you know, quarterbacks have internal clocks. Yeah. So when they drive back, they're going through their progression. So it's like, you know, read one, it's not there. Read two, it's not there. And so for a lot of people, it's like, you know, they're good enough to get the, to, to read four, uh, three and four, you know, and, and, and like Tom Brady, um, if they have enough protection, you know, but a lot of times it's read one isn't there, read two isn't there, check down, right? And it's all happening within two and a half seconds. For guys like Lamar Jackson, you know, Kyler Murray, you know, sometimes we saw it with Josh Allen. We even saw it here with Cam Newton. Um, it's read one, not there. Read two, not there. Be special, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think the one caveat I would say is is Cam Newton got a lot of criticism for this. I think unfairly, or at least people people assumed he was always looking to run. But there's yeah. a real difference between realizing the reads aren't there, breaking the structure, and still looking to throw, which is like what Aaron Rodgers has just turned into a complete art. Is the yeah. effectively yeah. like scrambling, but scrambling to throw, um, yeah. uh, and the guy who who first couple of reads aren't there, eyes go down, starts running. Yeah. Um, and I think there are quite a lot of even some very good college quarterbacks do have that kind of tendency. Um, like, you know, we'll talk about it more, but like Trey Lance, I think at times was a little bit guilty of that, where it's kind of the, you know, the eyes do start going down. He, he starts looking to be a running back rather than rather than still looking to throw. And some of, and again, we'll talk about this more when we get to quarterbacks, but some of that yeah. structure of offense, some that's what you're coached to do. But but like with, yeah. with, with Kyler Murray, Oklahoma, for example, it was very much like first couple of reads aren't there at least at times, first couple of reasons there, let me just run it. And you're not, not looking to throw, not looking to create plays with his feet, but just just run it. Whereas I think in the NFL, he's done a much better job of, of using his feet to extend plays and look for opportunities to throw. And that yeah. suggests that it was more of a coached thing to run rather than just his instinct was always to run, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I, I, it definitely makes sense. But, you know, the, the free agency talk, well, let me ask this one question before we get off free agency. Okay. Given... You know, what you've already outlined, you know, we have, let's say, you know, $30 million available in cap space. You know, right now it's saying 29 officially, but let's say it's just $30 million just to make it even. Mm-hmm. And we know $10 million or so is dedicated to the draft. Yeah. So that leaves us with um, 20. And then we're probably going to keep five in reserve, Yeah. you know, just for, you know, summer emergencies or somebody to come in available or just roster flexibility. So that leaves us with about $15 million to spend. And that's important because I think, Fans need to understand like what's reality. So the reality is, as of today, we probably have somewhere around $15 million that we're going to be willing to spend over the next few weeks in free agency. Yeah. Um, that doesn't go very far, it, you know, it, considering. It, sorry, this is one point. It, it does go, it goes further the more players you spend it on. So because the cap is calculated as the top 51 players um, yeah. during the off season, if you, if you spend $15 million on one player, 
you only subtract out the value of one player from that 51. Whereas if you yeah. spend over five players, the, the five lowest paid players on your current 51 drop out. So yeah. it, it so even if they're earning the vet min, so see if they're earning $700,000 a year, if, if you sign five guys with $15 million, you also free up an extra three and a half million by clearing out those extra players. So yeah. the more the more players you spread it over, the further it goes. So it's actually $15 million in, in cap hit above what you're paying the, the guys at the bottom of your roster currently. So so it is worth noting that if if the Panthers, you'd go like, that they've handed out $20 million in contracts, that's probably because they've freed up $5 million by by guys dropping out of the top 51. So, so you yeah, can, if, if you, if you spend lots of, if there's lots of two and $3 million deals, you can make 50 million go quite a long way. Yeah. And so, I mean, so that's what we're looking at, right? Yeah. You know, but in order to sign like, you know, five guys, then, you know, you have to average about around what, $3 million a contract. Yeah. Three or four, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like three or yeah, three or four contract. And so we can get five guys who are going to be in that, you know, all of them won't be three, million dollars piece you know you get a guy for two million get a guy for six million yeah and it just averages out to you know to three or what have you but either way or four um but we can get you know a handful of guys in free agency considering you know what we're trying to accomplish and in that best case scenario where we get four or five guys um who would make you the most happiest what what give me a name of a guy that would make you happy if the panthers were able to land them in free agency um, I think the there's I, th- I think that's the thing is because it's not it, there's not sort of one. Uh, I, I I think bringing KK back I think would make me quite happy. I think partly just from like the emotional kind of you know I like him. He seems like a nice guy. He's a good player. He's been a Panther for all his career. It's nice to see him back. But I think he they one they do need a three tech and also he is a he is a he is a when healthy he's a re- still a good player and he brings a lot of veteran experience. But I I think for me it's going to be more about the combination of players. Um, like, like, like last year, for example, I think like I was, I was quite keen about the Zach Kerr signing. Um, yeah. I could kind of see the appeal of like Burris and Eli Apple to hear Whitehead, um, Stephen Weatherly, like none of, none of them were sort of standout players, but like, they were all like solid signings. John Miller yeah. is another one. And you kind of like, okay. And, and, and not all of them worked out, but there was enough guys who were good enough that in average, you've got a couple of good starters out of them. You know, Burris is still a starter. John Miller is elite, played at least to a starting caliber level. Weatherly was a starter, although not a particularly good one. Like, you know, it, it's about, it'll be more about getting quality in the aggregate rather than like any one great player. And, you know, if it, so for example, the, the I'll, I'll suggest you go and read Dan's piece because it, it will highlight three guys in particular. But um, but I think if you go out and sign like a a, a, a few somewhat risky players, but you don't expect all of them to work out. But if you sign four guys on like short term prove it deals, if two of them do prove it, then that pays that 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 justifies the two guys who don't prove it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So no, so I think I, I think that's that would be for me is kind of like it would be the I see enough potential on aggregate to justify the, the, the players they brought in. And not all of them might even make the, the 53, but it, it's about seeing seeing enough potential to make it worth the investment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it does make sense to me. And, you know, there's a guy that I wanted last year in free agency um, that we didn't get. Um, and this year he's a free agent again um, because he was franchised last year, but this year he won't be. Um, and there's a vacancy where we actually need him this time is uh, Anthony Harris, but I know he'll be too. Is he'll yeah, be too expensive? I, I think that's, that's the thing is it's kind of anyone who is in the kind of like franchise tag conversation 
is probably going to be too expensive for Panthers. Yeah. And he had a down year last year, so I was thinking his price could come down a little bit, but I think he's still probably being around the nine, $9 to $10 million range, and that's too high uh, for any one position given the limited space we have available. So um, that's all I had on free agency for now. Um, for anybody listening, this is a crucial part of the season because we've kind of led up to this, you know, the last five, five or so weeks, saying that when free agency hits, a lot of things will change because we'll start being informed about you know, what holes we actually have. Um, so this week is going to begin to tell us a lot about, you know, what the Panthers roster will be. And then heading into the draft in April, we'll know, you know, what real needs are really, you know, are still there. And a lot of them, you know, that are there today will still be there after free agency because of what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's limited cap space. Um, we're going to be able to get some guys in, but those guys may or may not be entrenched starters. And so the draft is still going to be alive, but, you know, there may be a guy where you can say, okay, he's definitely going to be a starter at that position. So we can focus on, you know, other guys early in the draft or whatever. So um, it's going to be an intriguing week. It's going to be an exciting week. We're going to get better this week, you know, no matter how you slice it. So that's always exciting. Um, To that point, you know, one of the positions that we could get in free agency this week, is tight end. I doubt it, you know, but we could, and there are a lot out there. But this episode, in terms of talking about the draft, is about the tight end position. And so, without further ado, Vince, talk to me about your top tight ends this year. Yeah, so, in terms, yeah, I think just, just briefly to the, the tight end in Carolina, I, I think, obviously, you've got Manhurts hitting free agency, and you've got Ian Thomas and Colin Thompson back. I, yeah. It's clearly a position the Panthers want to get better at. Um, yeah. I think if they want to get better out in the short term, it's probably going to involve either someone we'll talk about in a second or a free agent. Um, I think the history of tight ends suggests that they probably take a little while to get going. And so you're more likely going to see a mid-round pick that is contributing in a year or two. Um, but 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 it is definitely a position the Panthers should look to invest at. Um, in terms of top guys, it, it's not really a surprise. Carl Pitts is really, really good. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a clear class apart with everyone in this draft class. Um, I... I'm not sure I buy him as a top 10 pick. And I, I do understand the conversation about him being more of a receiver than a genuine tight end, but, but he, he's a really, really good athlete, very fast, very fluid, um, fantastic hands, good after the catch, really good in the air. And while he's technically a relatively poor blocker, he definitely has shows, shows effort and like power, basically like he can, he could become a good blocker. Um, though obviously at six, six leverage is going to be an issue in it, you know, that, you know, he's probably always going to struggle with leverage a little bit. Um, I think what takes him out of the very, very top tier of tight ends for me is, I think as a route runner, he's still a little bit of a work in progress. Um, and I think he, like we talked about receivers, I think he compares much more to Jamar Chase in terms of how how he's going to demonstrate value, that he'll be a guy who comes up with a handful of really big plays um, rather than a guy who is just the consistent, you know, he he's he's not going to be the number one target on offense, I don't think. Um, Let me ask you a question. When you say that, it reminds me of a guy who came out a few years ago, who is you know, like high volume, high upside, tight tight end. Um, OJ Howard. Yeah, Big play guy. You know, you're not going to go to him as your number one receiving threat, but you know, when you do go to him, he can't make a, a really big play. Is he like that? I mean, he's probably better than that as a prospect, but, you know, do you see him like that in the NFL? Um, I, interesting. The player who kind of jumped to my mind is more Mike Kosicki. 
Um, okay. I think I'm wrong. I think he's better than Mike Gesicki. I should say that now. Yes. He, I think he's, he's 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 much better. But in terms of how he will be used, he's like a guy Gusecki. who's yes. Yeah, see, see I, I again, I was kind of a bit mixed on Gesicki because I mean, it was quite hard when he came out just because Penn State just basically schemed him open the entire time. He didn't actually really run routes as such. Right. Um, but I, I think he he's more that kind of guy who is going to be gen- he's not going to be I mean, Gasecki for his career averages about fifty receptions a year, like yeah. that's kind of where I could see see maybe he gets to sixty, but I think he's more of like the sixty receptions, eight hundred and fifty nine hundred yards, five to ten touchdowns type guy, um, which is very valuable. He's a real be a really good tight end, but he's not going to be the eighty ninety receptions for a thousand yards. Like he, he's he's more. He's more of like that type tight end than the Greg Olson centerpiece of your offense type player. Um, he's not the route runner that an Olson was, or or like a Mark Andrews is in Baltimore, where they're more of like possession type tight ends. Um, right. Obviously, Greg Olson is a bit of everything because he was a genuinely fantastic player. But I, I and he was fast. He was faster than most people realize. Yeah, no, he he did offer additional vertical threat as well. But he he, he I, I I think um, Pitts will be will will generate more big plays he'll he'll be he'll be a player who elevates a good offense rather than is the foundation of a good offense well let me ask you this question and this kind of a pullback before we go deeper into the into the tight end prospects given what you saw out of the carolina offense last year the joe brady scheme some people believe that all it needed was you know a, a a really good tight end to kind of optimize and maximize the offense in terms of its you know capability but then there are others who argue that Joe Brady really wouldn't feature the tight end much even if we had a really good one what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean I, I think the tight end role will be big which would be big will be bigger in Carolina going forwards um I think there was a little bit where with Samuel Robbie and DJ that there were only so many targets to go around um yeah. I I think probably the tight end will have a more similar role to Curtis Samuel. And I'm not sure that's Carl Pitts' role. I think Curtis, he, he would be a better fit for a team looking for a DJ Moore, um, right. a guy looking, who, you know, I, 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 I don't think there is an, a great, you know, I think it's one of those things where he is so much better than every other tight end in this class that if you want a tight end to make the Panthers better, he is the best tight end in this class. He would make the Panthers better. He would, you know, he is, he is as good at the things the Panthers need him to do as anyone else in this class. But his yeah. his real value is going to be things that the Panthers didn't really ask their tight ends to do, and didn't and didn't really ask Curtis Samuel to do either. They they asked Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore to do, and those guys are both back anyway. So yeah. I I think it's one of those things where he would definitely make the Panthers a lot better, and it would be hard to say that he was you know he he, he was going to make he's he, he's a good player who will make them better. I I'm not sure he makes them a top ten pick better. And, well, let me, let me ask and you I think that's question. where he's going to go, frankly. He's going to go top 12, certainly. Oh, absolutely. I think he'll be top 12. Let me ask you this question, though. And we've already established, um, you know, obviously, you know, the whole Panthers Twitter fan base know that I'm a big um, supporter, was a big supporter of Teddy through the 2020 season. Um, but I, like everybody else, can see the writing on the wall. Um, you introduced this early that they, they're definitely looking at moving on from the the quarterback, you know, at some point, you know, whether it's through the draft, through trade, through free agency, you know, they're going to look for another option. But with a guy like Kyle Pitts, let's say we had a slightly better season last year and we're picking 12th. And Teddy, you know, looked a little better than he looked. Would you see somebody like Kyle Pitts as 
able to elevate even what Teddy Bridgewater can do at his position? Does he make a quarterback like Teddy better? Or does yeah, Teddy yeah, still no. stay who he is regardless? I mean, Teddy stays who he is, but carpets can make that better as well. Like, you know, good quarterbacks look like really good quarterbacks surrounded by great talent. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, Jim Roy, it's one of those things where, I, like, if the Panthers drafted carpets, I think, I mean, at eight, I think the value is really hard to justify. Um, yeah. But uh, he definitely would make them better. Like, it, it would, it, you can see what they like there. It's not just a player that they're reaching on. Um, but it, yeah, I, I don't think he, he, I don't think he fits what the Panthers need. The Panthers don't need another big play option. They need, yeah. they need consistency. Um, they need underneath route running in particular. And maybe, you know, maybe if you just line him up, yeah, I, he would definitely help in the red zone. He would make a massive impact there. But I, I yeah, I think it's hard to say that that he, he if you if you drew up what the Panthers need in a tight end, I don't think it looks like Carl Pitts. As good as Carl Pitts is, he could still do that fairly well. But but I think there is, you could get better value from the tight end position. You could get as much impact from the tight end position from a significantly less good player in the Panthers okay. offense would be my, 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 my best way of putting it. No, I can respect that. I remember early in the season, you know, where the Panthers looked like they could be more towards a 500 team. Um, and I asked a well-respected draft analyst, you know, what he thought about, you know, the Panthers offseason, the upcoming offseason, which is now this offseason, and, you know, what positions they would target. And he mentioned cornerback, he mentioned linebacker, um, mentioned you know, the quarterback position, but he said that he felt that a lot of the, the Panthers scouts were really enamored with Kyle Pitts. And so I brought that up on Twitter. I caught a little heat, you know, because I brought it up and they thought I was suggesting that we needed a tight end in the top 10. But at the time, we weren't thinking that we would be in the top 10, more so around, you know, 11, 12, 13. Uh, but, you know, when you say things like that and it ages, it ages poorly when you, when the team gets worse and you become a top 10 team in, yeah, in terms yeah, of I, the draft I, positioning. I, but I, think, I think he would have been great around number 11 or 12, honestly. And I could see why Panthers would be targeting him at that point because it looked like that's where he would be and it looked like they were, that's where we would be in the draft. And so I was all on board with him, you know, getting him at number 12. Um, now, you know, that we are number eight, I don't think is as smart. Um, but I, I think for, for, for me, it, it's it's as much about where you are as, as as in your progression as it is about his value in terms of draft picks. Yeah. So I think he makes. I mean, obviously Miami have Gasecki, so it's less of a need. But he makes much more sense for a team that is on the cusp than he does for a team that's that's you know like again the 49ers don't need a tight end, so it's not as relevant. But a player, a team that is, is legitimately looking to contend in twenty twenty one he makes much more sense for like he could he could really elevate a good team but for a yeah, team like the, like he, the patriots like the patriots yeah, with yeah no, he, or, he, you he know, definitely makes sense the patriots but i think I, I don't think i don't think he's a foundational piece of an offense as is in he's not the guy that is going to be he's not going to be a number one or number two target i don't think like like 50 60 receptions is not is more like a number two slash three target than a, you know than who a guy may, who's going to catch 100 passes you know who may go after him yeah. um now that i think about it in terms of need, and they're not a really good team right now, but they are somewhat fringe in their in their division. It wouldn't surprise me to see a team like the Eagles, who will be losing Zach Ertz, um, who was the featured receiver in their offense, you know, along with Alshon Jeffrey for years. But they really like the tight end. 
um, or at least the, the, the last offensive play caller like the tight end a lot. And so given you have a young guy like Jalen Hurts, um, it wouldn't surprise me to see a team like that replace no, I could say that. or Alshon Jeffrey, uh, two big targets, Jeffrey and Hurts, you know, are now out of the picture. So you can bring in a guy like Kyle Pitts and he could be a guy that replaces either one of those guys. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be more of a replacement for Alshon Jeffrey, actually. Like, yeah, I think that yeah. probably makes more sense. No, I, I could kind yeah. of see that. And I think Casario, not Casario. Um, oh, God, who's the, the new Eagles head coach? Um, is the uh, the guy who's the, the, he was the offensive coordinator with um, with the Colts. I forgot his name. But, um, um, he, he came from yeah. He was he was on the Frank Reich, and then he yeah. So he, back, he comes so. he comes from a similar kind of system to what they yeah. ran before. So it's not going to be radically different. So so now now that I think about it, actually that does the Panthers a favor if they you know yeah. actually go you know with another position yeah um, you know if they go with another position I think it, I think it does us a favor um, so. Anyway, you know, that's the Kyle Pitts discussion. You know, we stayed on him a long time because he's that good. But who are other top prospects at the tight end position? Yeah, for me, after him, there's definitely a fairly significant gap. And then you're looking at very much um, a tier of guys who are probably sort of any should go anywhere from like the mid third round, sort of the, the late fourth round. And that's um, Hunter Long, uh, Brevin Jordan and Noah Gray. So Hunter okay. Long from Boston College, uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami and, and Noah Gray from Duke. Um, I think Hunter Long is probably the most pro-ready guy out of those three. I think he can come in and be a solid to good starter right away. I don't think he has a super high ceiling. I, I, he reminds me a bit of Hunter Henry, um, which might sound like sort of glowing praise, but I, I'm not as big a fan of Henry as some people are. Again, I, 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 you know, he can be a guy who catches like 600 yards of, you know, get 600 yards a season, solid yeah. blocker, well-rounded guy, useful contributor to your offense, but again, not a guy you're going to, build your centerpiece around like if, if the Panthers are just looking for a guy for the next four years who's just going to be a solid contributor I think I think he would make some sense um okay. I think Brevin Jordan is probably a lot more developmental um I think he has a lot of talent that needs development both as a route runner and as a blocker though he does show a lot of effort and, and talent in both regards it's just right. he, he, he needs refinement um okay. again I'm given that they've already got Ian Thomas I'm not sure he would be the best fit with Carolina. Uh, maybe he, maybe maybe he makes sense, but I think he's more of a, more, more again, more of a developmental type guy. Um, you think, I think he's uh, faster than Ian Thomas? Yeah, probably a little bit. Ian Thomas isn't super fast. He's yeah, yeah, he probably is faster than Ian Thomas. He's certainly quicker than Ian Thomas. Yeah, I know uh, Ian Thomas was very. Uh, he's a, he was a very explosive athlete overall. I don't think he had like really dynamic straight straight speed. No. Brevin Jordan looked like he has a little bit more of that, but in overall, I think people under underrate how much of an athlete Ian Thomas is. Yeah, no, so, it, 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 Ian Thomas is an athlete who you're trying to teach to be a tight end, and I think Brevin Jordan is going to be a similar kind of thing. Okay. Um, Noah Gray, I think, is probably the best underneath route runner in the class. Okay. I I think he's got some really nice subtle moves at the head of his route. He's really quite quick and shifty, good hands, quite good at the air, so he can contest in the red zone stuff. Um, yeah. Needs some work as a blocker, um, needs to run a fuller route tree as well. Um, and I think ultimately lacks the sort of the top end athleticism to be like a, a feat, you know, a feature tight end. Um, I think he he would probably make the most sense for the Panthers for me um, out of those three. Uh, as a guy who you probably get more in like the late fourth, early fifth um, and can develop for a year while, you know, give Ian Thomas another year to prove it. Um, and and then develop him, uh, particularly as a blocker, and then give him a chance to rotate in and be that kind of like receiving flex type tight end. 
Um, so I think th those are sort of the, the second tier, but there, if I'm honest, there is such a gap between that, between that top and second tier for me that, that, that it really is Carl Pitts and then some other guys. So you have top prospects, essentially Pitts is the elite of the top prospects. And then you have Long, Reverend Jordan and Noah Gray. Yeah. As yeah like solid late day two, early day three guys. All right. So there was a name that I didn't get there in your top prospects who, who has widely been regarded as a top prospect, but I'm assuming you have them in your overhyped category. So who are your overhyped tight ends? So for me, yeah, I mean, the tight ends are always a bit, bit weird, but I, you know, I think, I think Pat Fremuth, um from, from Penn State. About. Yeah. I, so, so he's not that far off that, like he's in the third tier for me of like the solid mid round guy. And I think yeah. he's, he's possibly the best blocker in the class. Um, certainly he's a good blocker. Um, okay. I'm just not sure I see the the kind of the upside as a receiver other than just like a check down guy. Um, I don't think yeah. he's a particularly good, he's, he's sort of a fairly unremarkable athlete. He's not a particularly good route runner. He's perfectly good hands and that kind of stuff. But I I think he's more of a, if you were the Panthers, he's more a guy that you look to replace Chris Manhurts with than a guy you look to be your feature tight end. But Is yeah, he like a Cal Rudolph? Uh, no, I don't think he's quite as good a receiver as that either. I think he is more of a like a, yeah, he is more of like a genuine like blocking tight end who can catch some passes. Um, okay. Um, at least right now. And I, again, I, so I think he's my number six tight end. So like, you know, he's not a bad prospect. I just think that like people mocking the second round is a little bit rich for me. Um, I got you. The other guys are Tony Poljan and Kari Angeline. Again, uh, neither of those are, are guys who are being um, mocked super high. They're more like being mocked as mid-round guys. And I just, again, I, I, I don't see why those guys would be higher than, uh, than, than some of the other guys we're going to talk about in a second. So, again, I, Angeline, I think, is, is, is decent. I think he's limited by the fact that he's ridiculously... I mean, they're, they're both really, really tall. And I think there's probably some people go like six foot seven tight end. Yes, please. When actually right, right. six foot seven tight ends don't tend to move very well. Um, yeah. And I, I think they are, neither of these guys are ever going to be particularly good route runners. Like they, they do not look super fluid at all um, and are more just trees that can block and can catch some passes. Like, I mean, don't wrong. Like, you know, there aren't many people at six foot seven who move particularly fluidly. Um, yeah. Pol Poljan in particular, I think, looks really, really um, immobile at times. He looks really um, clunky in space. And I think is, is I, I don't think, I can't see either of them being anything other than depth pieces at the NFL level, really. How, how tall is Rob Gronkowski? I mean, he's I don't think five. he's... He's 6'5". Okay, I was, I was like, is he 6'7"? I don't think he's that tall. No, they're, they're, I mean, I can't, I can't remember who the guy was that the Bears took a few years ago who was just absolutely enormous. But um, no, I mean, don't me wrong. Like, there are probably players who can play tight end well at 6'7". At, at but um, yeah. I think these guys, the only reason why, why I see them being... Um, being mocked as high as they are is just because their size, because that's the only thing that 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 stands out when you when you watch them on tape. It's just that they're really tall. Okay, I mean, and and I haven't seen Pauljan or Angeline very much. Um, six six. Gronkowski's six six. He's six six. I thought he was. I thought he was close. I was like, I know he's he's taller than he looks because he's such he's, he's so big. Yeah, he's like nearly two. He's like nearly two seventy. Whereas yeah. Angeline is so like you can't six, tell seven. how tall he is. Like he's a real matchup problem at that height and and size and catch radius. And obviously, he you know he, he uses it well. So yeah, that's but, what but, I started but, thinking that when you that, said his height. That there are there are very few people who at that size can move the way Rob Gronkowski can. But that's why he's going to go end up in the Hall of Fame. So like you know, right. <laughs> yeah, just because someone's really big doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a great tight end. 
No, I, I agree with that, you know, and but, you know, every time I think of a big guy, you know, at tight end, uh, he's like now the, the new prototype for that. And although he looks like a dinosaur, you know, to see him in Tampa, especially as the season went on, he started out kind of slow, but as the season went on, he like, he got his legs underneath him and he got in shape and, and man, he dominated, you know, even all the way through the Super Bowl. So it was cool to see him do that. I hated seeing them win again, um, but you know, it was cool to see him, you know, bounce back after taking a year off or so. And so, so those are your overhyped guys. I, you know, Pat Freemuth, you know, is a big name. And I wanted to make sure you went into him a little bit because a lot of people who is going to look at like the, the top ranked tight ends, they're going to see him at the top. And then plus there's that Penn State affiliation with Matt Rule being an alumnus. And so you don't want to uh, overlook anybody from Penn State in my, in my mind. I think, you know, the dangerous people that you might see uh, the Panthers pick, you know, the uh, our guys from Penn State, um, Temple and, and Baylor. The Temple thing might be phasing out a little bit, but you still may see some surprises from ba Baylor because there was, those were Matt Rule people. And, and then you could see uh, Penn State because I, I still imagine that he watches a lot of Penn State football. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I, I still, at least I hope that, I think those <laughs> things matter more when you get to UDFAs. So I think like Sam Tecklenburg making the Panthers I think that's a Baylor connection. I think Bravion yeah. Roy being on the Panthers, I think that's more of like, I think he was decent value where they put him. Like, like I, I, I think if they'd have taken him in the third round, you'd have thought that's, that's, that's a that's little bit of, room. yeah, that, that, that's, right. yeah, that's, you happen to know the head coach. Whereas, I, you know, I, 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 I think that's, that's going to be something we see more as like UDFA, like Sam Franklin and Tecklenburg signing. That, that's more where I see the, the like familiarity thing really coming into effect. Okay. Well, who would you think, you know, given that we talked about the, you know, the top prospects and even though Pitts would be lovely for any team, you know, we may not, you know, be able to pick him or have the luxury to pick him at eight. And we talked about the other top prospects. We talked about guys who may be overhyped. Um, we we will need a tight end. Yeah. And so, like, who do you think, you know, in this class are guys that we should actually target and who would actually fit what we do? So I think there's kind of two two or three ways you can go. As I mentioned, Noah Gray would probably for me be the the best of those options. Um, yeah. I, I think he he's probably the most natural fit with what the Panthers actually need in terms of just like a, a sort of flex receiving guy. But also you've got Manhurst as a free agent. I think if Manhurst walks, then I think you could definitely bring in someone to compete with Colin Thompson for more of that like blocking type role. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Kenny Yaboa and Trey McKitty are probably the two best guys in that regard. Um Yuboa obviously has familiarity with Rule. Um, you know, he he played for Rule for temp at Temple for a year, and then almost well, he was due to transfer to Baylor before Rule was hired by by, by the Panthers. Um, and he is again a good blocker, has some value as a receiver, is a pretty good athlete, um, but but not that developed a route runner. Um, is is more of a, a project as a receiver, but can be a, a solid blocker right away. Um, would probably be a guy who you, who you draft in sort of the mid rounds. And he's, and he's there to kind of replace Manhurst as a blocker in the short term with more developmental potential as a receiver than Manhurst has, frankly, at this point. Um, I, yeah, I think they've kind of given up on the Chris Manhurst receiving tight end development pathway. Like, don't me wrong, I, he can still catch some passes. He's not a bad player, but he's the idea that he's ever going to be like a three or 400 yard receiver, I think, is probably like the Yaboa probably projects more to be Ed Dixon than he does to be Chris Manhurst, if that makes sense. Like the guy who is mostly a blocker but can also catch two or three hundred yards of passes a season. No, it makes sense that to me, I look at Manhurst like he's a swing tackle at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just an additional offensive lineman. You know, it's like if Manhurst is in the game, we're running. 
And so um, I, I like him. I like what, you know, Teddy tried to do with him last year and, you know, and, and get him more confident as a pass catcher. You know, he'd say that he tried to tap into his his basketball, you know, background and, and get yeah, him to be nice, more nice, nice, that's just, I, I think if he was 23, you'd be like, yeah, okay, we can still keep working on this. But like, I think he's like 28, 29 now. And it's like, he's a, he's a blocker. Like he. Yeah. And the, and the crazy part is, you know, like he started football really late in his, yeah. in his um, career life, you know? And so when a guy starts late, you know, they find a niche, you know, as a blocker, that's really good. But then to try to convert them into, into something different, um, this late, I don't think it's possible. And I yeah. think last year proved that. So it is what it is, man. So, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about your boy, you know, Noah Gray. Um, I think I think McKitty is like that as a blocker as well, where like he, he was a guy who was basically just used as a blocker for most of his, his college football career. Then he did show some receiving chops at the, at the senior bowl. I mean, he had some really nice catches. I, I, I don't think he's ever going to be the best receiver. I don't think he's, I think like Yeboah has more potential as a receiver than McKitty does. I just he's I think he's just more athletic, um, yeah. has more potential just to, to to develop into a good route runner. But I think Nikiti can definitely be a guy who who again as like a, a man hurts replacement, really sure handed, has some some ability as a route runner, can definitely get out there and catch passes, but is also a like a solid blocker who can who can get the job done there. Um, so I think oh, it, man. we can't we can't pass up the opportunity to get Trey McKitty to be a Panther. Yeah, I mean, McKitty I, Panther. Yeah. Come on, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think if, if if that's your overarching draft philosophy, I think you might make some mistakes. But um, yeah, well, just just fill your roster with people who used to play for South Alabama because they want you want as many Panthers as possible. But um, but 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 no, I I think I think McKitty is is and you you both like as day three blocking guys would make a lot of sense. I think the final guy is the guy who who hopefully we're going to have an interview with at the end of this podcast. So stick around for that. Is um SMU's Conan Granson. So. Okay. He's coming from like an air raid scheme at SMU, um, where where he he showed the ability to get vertical. He's got really good hands, um, can add some value after the catch, and is at least shows some nice things as a blocker. But he is more of a developmental guy. Um, yeah. He he would be more of like that that Ian Thomas type um, prospect. Where I mean, he's I think he's more further on than Thomas was as a rookie, but but. I think if you're looking for a guy who mostly probably sits and plays special teams early on and then maybe develops into a role, he, you know, I, I think the Panthers want players who can stretch the field vertically at tight end, which is why I think Noah Gray maybe isn't the perfect fit. Um, but I think I think um, Granson can do that. He can get vertical. He can push the centre of the field. He can really threaten the seams. Um, he's got good, really, you know, really good hands, would, would add some value in the red zone as a contested catch guy. Um, and, and then you're kind of, you're hoping that he can continue to develop as a route runner underneath. And, you know, he wasn't really asked to at SMU, so it's hard to sort of, you know, chastise him too too harshly. But, you know, it is worth looking that, that Granson, um, Gray, and McKitty, all, and Quinton Morris, who's another sort of late-round developmental type guy who's not too bad, they all work with the Panthers coaches at the Senior Bowl. So particular, okay. particular, particularly for those guys and the developmental aspects like Granson and, and McKitty and, and Morris, the Panthers have had a chance to see how they think they can develop, as, as particularly as route runners. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I thought Noah Gray actually had quite a good senior bowl. So maybe he he definitely got an edge there. But but like, you know, Grantson's development as a tight end is something the Panthers will have had a chance to probe already. Um, yeah. And, and you know, he, he certainly has the talent to be quite a good player. He he certainly has starter caliber talent. Um, it just might take him a little while to 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 adjust coming from an air raid scheme into a into a more pro style offense. And and don't be wrong, there aren't many tight ends who who were from pro style offenses in college. So. That's why there's generally a bit of an adjustment period. 
No, I, I can totally see that. And, you know, considering we found out that the Panthers receive um, two additional six-round compensation picks, um, you yeah, know, I, I can see one of these guys being picked with one of those picks or, you know, maybe patching those two picks up and moving up into the fifth. Yeah, I, I think Ransom probably goes fifth. I think he's got enough talent fifth. that he goes fifth. Okay. And you could package, you know, you could take those two sits and trade them for a fifth. You know, you never know. Yeah. But it, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Panthers wait until day three. You know, if it's these many um, uh, prospects out there, you know, like your boy, Gray, McKitty, Granson, yeah. one of them would be around, you know, on day three, you know, to be yeah, had. Yeah. And, and the Panthers having familiarity from Senior Bowl, you know, says a lot because they've already vetted these guys to an extent. Yeah, no, I, I think I think this tight end class is like Carl Pitts or wait until the fourth or fifth round is, is kind of where this tight end class is. It's like if you're not getting Pitts, like the like maybe Hunter Long, you could maybe talk taking the third round. But like I think the gap between like a Noah Gray and a Kylan Granson is not worth taking one in the third versus the fifth. Like it's it's small gaps between these guys. Well, the one guy that I think that could change his projection a lot based on how he tests is Brevin Jordan. I don't think they've had their senior day yet. You know, I don't think day. so, no, no. Um, so if they haven't had their pro day yet, you know, we haven't seen his, his numbers. The, cra- the numbers this year have been crazy, and I'm wondering if that's a, a product of being, um, you know, at the school-sponsored pro days. Um, but, you know, they've been doing laser testing on the 40 times, but I've seen some some ridiculous 40 times from a lot of athletes this year. If, I if, think Brevin Jordan, if he runs like a 4-5-ish, I think he could make a lot of noise for himself just based on that that physical upside. But yeah, I yeah, I, what... I, I, yeah, I, I'm. I think he could definitely make some money for himself. I'm not sure yeah. that testing alone is what you should do to draft tight ends. I think that's part of the oh, issue that 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 with with why a lot of first round tight ends don't work out is because you go and draft the guy who tests really well rather than the guy who's actually like good at the really position. Yeah. So like there, there there really aren't very many guys who come out as very good tight ends. Um, so, like, the, it is a position that always takes a bit of projection from college to the NFL. But I think the the guys who showed that they're at least technically reasonably proficient are always. I, I think Brevin Jordan, I think, can be a really good player. I just think the risk is enough. It's more about the interviews and what you think of him as a person and, and his coachability than I think his, his testing will probably make a marginal difference for me, at least. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a crazy guy that I think about all the time in terms of a guy who just had um raw potential as a blocker and became a really good tight end is Greg Kittle. I think he was a fourth round pick yeah. um, out of Iowa, well, I mean, you know, where everybody knew he was a good blocker as a tight end. They knew he had speed, but they didn't know that he could translate to being a good receiver tight end. And if you can find a guy, you know, on day three like that, then you know you hit a home run, you know, because they can totally transform your offense and you didn't have to spend a lot to get them. Yeah, no, I I think the yeah, I think Carl Pitts is kind of like the asterisk this year, but I think yeah, for the Panthers, it should be looking at finding a guy in like the fourth or fifth round who they can who they can develop rather than than trying to find someone on day two who's going to come in and be this starter. Because I think maybe Hunter Long, but other than that, I don't think there is that kind of like immediate impact starter guy on on day two this year. No, I, I agree with that. You know, and and so hopefully we get lucky. I mean, as it is with any of these positions, we talk about week to week. You know, the the Panthers are in a position now where depending on what we do in the coming days or weeks, you know, with the quarterback position, you know, whether we trade for one and lose draft picks or, you know, however that goes, you know, a lot of that is going to dictate what we're able to do and what we're able to get in the draft. And so a lot of these positions that we're talking about, 
you know, our positions that we need. You know, we need um, guys in almost every phase of our um, of our team. And so, you know, we talked about we we talked about the tight end position. We we talked about um, the safety position. You know, we talked about linebacker. You know, we need all of these positions, but we never know um, where we're going to be able to draft them, where we're going to have the luxury to draft them. You know, or when we're going to be able to get to a point where we could just draft a need, and we're not there yet. Yeah. Uh, tight end is just another one of these positions where you know, it would it would be great it would be great to have Kyle Pitts, but we may not have the luxury to get a Kyle Pitts. So you know, the rest of these guys are, are pretty much in the same category. They can be had on day two, day three. Hopefully we pick the right one. Hopefully we have great scouts and that Scott Fitterer and, and everybody involved is a, you know has a good eye for that. But you know those are our tight end prospects. You know Pitts and then seemingly everyone else. You know, yeah. you know to make it short, and you know that that's more about what Kyle Pitts brings to to the table and how special and unique his talent is as a pass receiver than it's saying about any of the other guys because I think there's some really good players or potential to be good players you know, that we've mentioned that, that we've mentioned across the board. So um, so don't think because we don't get you no, know, we, we can't get Kyle Pitts that we can't get a good tight end. We no. very well can get a tight end. We just have to wait and see and see if we have the right staff that can develop them and, and make them become the player that we all know we need in Carolina. We don't have a a number one tight end right now. Ian Thomas gets another year to prove if he can be that. We don't know if we bring um, Manhurst back, you know, um, as a free agent, but you know, if he does, you know, I, I still see him as being the tight end two, tight end three. Yeah. Um, we have Colin Thompson, is it? Yeah. Who, who signed an extension, so you know he could be around this year, but we 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 never know what we're gonna have. We just hope that we can pick a guy, you know, in the draft or in free agency who can be that guy. So we'll see what this week tells us. Uh, that's the tight end group, folks, and you know, we gave a, a preview of the free agent situation, the free agency situation heading to week one of the season. Hopefully by the time we talk again, you know, we will have gotten better, you know, yep. based on who we've gotten in free agency. So looking forward to our next episode where we can discuss that. But as for this week, remember we have a an interview with um, with, with Kylan Granson immediately following um, this official portion of the episode. So, um, as we go into this week, good luck in free agency. Hopefully we can get um, somebody again who can who can make us better, who we can get multiple guys who can make us better. Um, remember to, to find us either on Spotify or iTunes. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. You can find Vincent Richardson at V Richardson 444. V Richardson 444 on Twitter. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at any time, you know, send us a, a tweet, send us a shout. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we appreciate you guys. And so now transitioning to the interview with Mr. Um, Kylan Granson. Goodbye. Peace. Hi, Kylan. Thanks for joining us uh, at Scouting the Culture. Um, obviously, it's a uh, it's been a while uh, since the senior bowl, um, but you got to work with the Panthers coaching staff there. I mean, how, how was that experience? Oh, I mean, it was awesome. You know, getting, that was like my first real foray with like professional coaching and Matt Rule's staff was awesome. Um, you know, I feel like I learned a lot that week, even though it was only a week, I feel like I really took some steps as a player and, you know, it was really good to get some, you know, tight end coaches 
like Coach Angelico, like coaching me up on techniques and stuff. And I, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I mean, you talk about like, the technique stuff. Were there obviously you've come from a, a college scheme that's probably quite different from what you're playing in the NFL. Were there were there particular things that you kind of either expected that you knew you had to work on, or that you kind of realized when you got in and started playing in that type of offense that you kind of are going to be very different when you get to the next level? Uh, a little bit of both. I knew there were some things like obviously from college that I mean the pros is a different level altogether. So there's going to be advancements and technique and just the way you have to do things, but. Also, there were some things that I realized that I hadn't uh, particularly thought I needed to work on, but like just a few things, you know, that I could, you know, tighten the screws on, so to speak, you know. What, what, what were those things that I've interested? Um, as far as like just like the smaller details, as far as like hand placement and head placement when it comes to the interior blocking type stuff. Okay. Okay. I mean, what, mm. what, what, what do you, what did you sort of, find most different from what you did in college was was it just the blocking stuff or were there, were there different things that you're asked to do as a receiver as well um just the volume of stuff like the volume of material i know we only installed a, a basic amount of things but i mean just from what we already had put in just at the senior bowl i could tell that the absolute amount of plays was just way more than anything i expected um well i mean i expected a lot but even then just like getting hit with just how much of a playbook you'd have to memorize and be responsible to know is just going to be pretty big, you know. Did you think you fared quite well in terms of absorbing that stuff and actually going out and executing it properly? Is that something that you were quite happy with how you did in that regard? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was quite happy with it. I mean, you know, the first day, you know, it felt like a lot. But, I mean, after – really, once we had the, the meeting after because we got the playbook and then we had a night and then the next morning we met. And I feel like after that morning meeting, I felt like I had, like – pretty much grasped the first day of material. And then from there, I mean, it was just adding a couple of things here, a couple of things there. And then pretty much I was just in a groove and I had it all down pretty much. That sounds good. I mean, obviously this year is very different from the most previous years in terms of what, how the impact COVID is going to make and stuff. And it's teams aren't going to have the access to you. It's all the combine that they would have done in the past. Obviously that'll probably come to your pro day, but do you think the the senior bowl was really useful for you just in terms of the chance to actually go and meet with teams in a way that the prospects who, who didn't get invited just, just won't get a chance to? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, due to COVID, you know, them not having a combine or it all being virtual. I mean, it's definitely, I feel like the senior bowl um, was definitely a big deal for me and a big deal for the players who did get to go. Cause I feel like we got a lot of exposure to those teams and really got to sit down and, you know, the coaches got to see us, the scouts got to see us, like see us in the, in flesh and blood, you know, not over Zoom. So, I mean, I feel like it kind of helped us out um, as participants, you know. I mean, obviously your, your your pro day is sort of about 10 days away um, as we speak right now, a little bit more than that, maybe two weeks. Are you, like, how is the preparation going for that? And, and are there particular things that you're sort of, is it mostly focused on the athletic testing or are there other things you're kind of working on as well to showcase that? Um, really just, yeah, it's all athletics there. I mean, um for the most part, just been working on strength, speed stuff, working the drills, um, doing um, the listed things that we're probably going to be required to do, you know, running routes, blocking, um, and just doing different drills like that, just grinding on those, you know, just getting familiar with them, you know, tightening the screws before we hit the actual day. I mean, from, from what, I don't know how much you've met with teams already, but from from what you've heard and from from what, what you, the feedback you've got, are there... Are there particular question marks in your game that, that, that you're being asked about or, or is it kind of been a real a real mix of things that teams want to sort of see from you? Uh, I know 
after my first year playing at SMU, coming into my senior year, the big question mark for me was my blocking. And I feel like between my senior year of play and what the coaches got to see at the senior bowl, I feel like I really helped myself out in that category and, you know, really showed that I could block also, even despite being considered undersized. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, that was really the main thing that I heard about my game that they were concerned about. But other than that, that's about really it. I'm sort of curious because obviously the, the, the offense, you, as I mentioned, the offense you ran at SMU was more of that kind of air raid type vertical offense. Um, obviously, you say you only ran sort of part of the, the, the sort of the Panthers offense at the senior bowl. But in terms of the, the route tree that you were asked to run, was there kind of was there a huge amount of difference? And if so, were there kind of things that you you were kind of asked to do that you hadn't really been asked to do before in terms of how to create separation? Uh, no, it was all familiar to me. I mean, just same routes, different names, you know, pretty okay. much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was familiar with all of it. I was, yeah. I think it's sort of the, the final question I have is sort of, again, from, from what teams have said to you and also about your, how you view your own game, but do you have a clear vision of how you think you fit into an NFL offense and where you think you can, you can make an impact compared to sort of other players at the position? Well, just as like that hybrid deal, um, I'm a bigger, like people describe me as a bigger wide receiver or a faster tight end. You know, I've got the speed of a receiver, but the size, the weight, and the ability to block of a tight end. And also, I'm a very cerebral person, so um, picking up stuff, being able to adapt to the game plan, just making battlefield decisions like that, I feel like are part of the strongest parts of my game. And so, really, I can just be spread out. I can be in line. I can be a fullback. You know, I just feel like kind of a Swiss Army knife. I can do it all, really. Thanks a lot. Thanks for spending the time. Oh, yeah. No problem. Appreciate it, man.